Well, it's a joy to be with you on Sunday morning, and we're going to continue looking at 1 Kings 18 this morning. Last week, we had the wonderful passage of uh, Elijah up on Mount Carmel and this great test and, and trial of who is the Lord? Is there, a, is there a true God out there? And yes, the Lord God proves himself mighty and true up on Mount Carmel, but the Lord sends fire to prove himself there. This week, and we're looking at the next stage, what the people needed was rain. They had been in three and a half years of drought. It was an intentional drought. It was not a happenstance occasion. But the Lord is going to show that as the people repent of their sins and begin to turn their hearts back towards him, that he is going to answer the prayer of Elijah and he is going to send rain. So this morning, we are in 1 Kings 18, 41 through 46. And so I would ask for you to stand, please, to honor the Lord as we read his word this morning. 1 Kings 18, 41 through 46. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garments and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. So we're going to review what's happening here. So after this time of, of, of judgment on these false prophets and the end of that day, I would assume it is the next day, that he says to Ahab, go up and, and relax yourself because rain is coming. Now, that's a statement of faith by Elijah. He has no idea, really, that rain is coming other than he believes God that rain is going to come because the Lord has, has led him to believe so. But what does Elijah do in order to seek this from the Lord? He goes into a time of private prayer. He goes all the way up to the top of this mountain, Mount Carmel, which is only about five miles from the Mediterranean Sea, has a good clear view of the Mediterranean, and he sends a servant to go and look at the sea as he prays. And he prays in private prayer to the Lord. And it is absolutely the truth that all godly people in public draw that godliness and hope from a time of private prayer with the Lord. If you're going to go out in strength in public for the Lord, you will draw your strength from being with the Lord in private and with him alone, especially in times of prayer. And so he bows down in verse 42 in a way that should not be missed. It says he bows down in the lowest way possible. So think of someone kneeling, and then when they kneel, they put their head between their knees, their arms are out, they're in the lowest possible place of humility before the Lord, asking for God's blessing as he prays. We're going to come back to this and dwell on this at length here in a little while, but for now, just see him in this position on top of this mountain before the Lord. He prays once, and he sends a servant, go see, if there, is there a cloud coming? No. 
again, again, again. Now the last time he sought the Lord for something tremendous, it was for the resurrection of a dead child. And on the third time, the Lord answered him. You would think maybe on the third time, the God will send the cloud on the third time, but he doesn't. And he keeps praying, and he keeps praying, and he keeps praying, and he gets to seven times. And finally, he says, there's a cloud like the size of a man's hand, tiny little cloud coming up. And he knows that from that, the Lord has answered his prayer. But the sense that we get, the strong sense that we get here, uh, is that Elijah is not going to stop praying until the Lord answers his prayer. He is going to keep pressing and keep asking and keep seeking God until the Lord answers his prayer. When this little cloud starts to come up on the horizon, he says, go down and tell Ahab to start riding for Jezreel, which is about 20 miles southeast of where Mount Carmel is, because it's getting ready to start dumping rain, and you're going to get soaked if you don't get out of town now. And so he goes, and he starts riding, and Ahab, as Ahab is, does not offer a ride to Elijah. And so as the, the Lord would have it to show his strength, Elijah picks up and runs himself by the Spirit of the Lord, a little marathon, a little bit shorter than a marathon, about 20 miles from there to Jezreel, and he beats the chariot of of Ahab to the town of Jezreel. Just another way in which the Lord demonstrates his supernatural power in the life of Elijah. So the heart of this passage this morning is Elijah praying on Mount Carmel. And so I'm going to take time this morning to camp out and talk about the prayer life of Elijah. Almost everywhere that we see Elijah working, he is praying. Constantly, he is praying. Every passage that we have looked at so far about Elijah, Elijah is praying. And so we need to see the patterns of prayer in the life of Elijah and how it is that he seeks after the Lord in prayer. So we're going to look at six parts of how Elijah prays to the Lord and how it is that we might follow in his example. So the first of these six things is very basic, but it is where we must start and it is the root of all things in prayer for Elijah. It is that Elijah believes in the reality of God and God's actions. Elijah believes in the reality of God and God's actions. That's the heart and soul of our whole uh, passage last week. Other people didn't believe that God was real, but Elijah believes that he is real. Not a single one of you are going to pray to the Lord with any fervency or any passion or any regularity if you are not deeply convinced in your heart that God is real. Hebrews 11.6 says this, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If we would draw near to God and pray to him, we must believe that he in fact exists. And it's important for us in looking at the life of Elijah to realize that his situation is not fundamentally different than our situation. God was just as unseen back then as God is unseen right now. And that was the major problem for these people in our passage last week, that I can't see him, and so if I can't see him, then he's not real. Well, they got a a good demonstration of the reality of God in last week's sermon. Today, people say the same thing. Our faith wavers and struggles in many ways because of the unseen nature of God. But this is the way that God has planned it, made it, and this is not unintentional. The Lord would have us to walk by faith. And walking by faith in what is unseen, that one day our faith might be made sight. When we enter into the glory of God and we see Him, But for now, 
And for all humanity, all people that have sought to believe in God have believed in Him who is unseen. He who forbids the making of images. That there is no image that can possibly uh, sum up who He is and no image shall be made. But Elijah also lived in an ungodly world. He lived amongst wicked people and wicked leaders and he had the same struggles of life of perhaps not having enough to eat, not having enough to drink, not having enough to do whatever and having to go to the Lord with his needs as the Lord provides his needs. Elijah believed in the reality of God and he obeyed the call of God. He followed God's will and he was willing to not be ashamed to be an ambassador of God to an unbelieving people. And so I ask you, do you believe that God is real? Do you act like God is real? Do you pray as though God is real and hears your prayers? Only you in your heart know the answer to that. Do you really believe that God is real? But your answer to that, yes or no, will radically shape your life because it's going to lead you in one direction or a different direction. In the direction of Ahab, his example before us is a person who was radically convinced of the reality of God and lived for the Lord. So that's first in his prayer life. The second is that Elijah was a man of righteous character. He prayed from righteous character. He's before Ahab, he's before the crowds, he's before false prophets, he's before all kinds of people in public places where any and all of these people could bring accusations against him. And say, you are a liar. Like, look at this part of your life. You're a, this guy is as wicked as anybody else. Who is he to say anything to us about God? But no accusation is ever brought against him because Elijah is a man that is above reproach, meaning that his life is above any actionable, uh, any accusation that could gain traction in his life because people know that he's a righteous person and he lives a righteous life. And sin disrupts our fellowship with God. But people of righteous character have an open door to the ear of the Lord. Over and over in the scriptures, it talks about how our sin cutting off or breaking our fellowship with God. And if we would have a strong prayer life with the Lord, we must be people that care about righteousness. None of us are sinless people. All of us must come and confess our sins readily to the Lord. And certainly Elijah was no perfect person. But he lived his life in a righteous manner. He was a person that did not intentionally offend the Lord with his sins. So if we look at the Psalms, in Psalm 24, we have this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And so it is that the scriptures talk to us about the person with a pure heart coming before the Lord, having entrance to the Lord because the Lord is holy and he is righteous and we cannot stand before him without purity of heart or righteousness of action. Jesus says the exact same thing, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Or 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul writes, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. All three of those things, those are beautiful things for a life. A life that is full of the love of God and these things issuing out from a, a pure heart, a good conscience. You know what it means to have a good conscience. You know what it is when your conscience is not at peace in your heart because there's something that's in your heart that is unconfessed and is wrong and you cannot let loose of it or you will not I should say let loose of it and lastly a sincere faith that the fact that you believe in God is true and is deep-seated in your heart and is sincere all of these types of things describe the character of Elijah and not just Elijah but every righteous person from his time down to our day a person of righteous character is a person that the Lord listens to when they pray. Are you, a, amen, are you a person of purity of heart? Does purity of heart describe you when we read passages in the Bible about having a pure heart? Does that make you unsettled? Or do you know that, yes, I seek, I strive, Lord God, give me a pure heart that you are confessing your sins, that you are doing away with and seeking a different way of life. If anything does not describe our day and age, it is an age of purity of heart. We have great wickedness of heart in our time. Does obedience of life characterize you? If I were to ask your spouse or your kids or your coworker or to look at your search history on the computer, would it show a, a clean conscience? in a pure heart, a life of righteousness? I believe it would with Elijah, and I believe it does with every righteous person. And so the second part of Elijah's prayer life is that he was a man of righteous character. So he's a man who believed in the reality of God, who sought to live a righteous life before the Lord. But third gets into his how he prayed. These are some foundational issues. But how did Elijah pray? We see in James 5.17, we've talked about that passage before, where it is a passage about prayer. And it refers directly to Elijah and the way that Elijah prayed. And it is pressing us to pray like Elijah prayed. In James 5.17, it says that Elijah prayed fervently, first for the rain to stop. And then we see in our passage today in verses 42 and 43 that he prayed fervently for it to rain again when it was time for it to come again. But fervency in prayer is an attribute of Elijah. So the third way in which Elijah prayed is that he prayed fervently. What does it mean to be fervent about something? That's an interesting word, not a word that we use all the time, but an important word. And it, and it brings together a lot of different characteristics of zeal. I think the first thing about fervency in prayer is that you really mean it. Okay, all of us have prayed prayers that we didn't really mean. Maybe we were in public and we just needed to say something that needed to be said, and, but our heart just really wasn't in it. Fervency of prayer means that you mean it. Your heart is engaged. You are not detached from what is happening. That you are, in fact, pressing into God, desiring something, and you are seeking it from God in a passionate and engaged way, and you're not going to stop. You are not double-minded in it. 
And I think this, this, this act of persuasion is always interesting when you see it demonstrated in children that really, really want something. I don't know if any of y'all have had some dogged kids like we have had that have really wanted something, and their fervency in seeking it is unabating. Like, child, if you will just leave me alone, I will maybe give this to you. But they will not stop. And so this is a fervency. Fervency in prayer is not a, just a repeated written prayer. When, when In the same example, when our kids come to us seeking something, they're not reading the same statement every time. They're coming in just another way, a little bit different way, slightly different way, to make the same case again and again and again. This is not 50 Hail Marys. This is repeated prayer that is meaningful from the heart. And I would say that fervency also revolves around boldness. In asking God for something that is bold, something that is uh, beyond anything that we can do ourselves, and we are seeking for God to do it. And our boldness in prayer always is rooted in God's word. It's rooted in the scriptures. For Elijah, he knew that what was happening, what he was seeking from God was God's will. And he was going to seek it from the Lord until the Lord acted in accordance with this prayer. And we can pray with the same fervent boldness when we know from God's word that what we're praying for is right and true. And we can go to God for it with great boldness. How about you? Are you fervent in your prayer? Are you serious in your prayers? Are you bold in your prayers? Do you press into God's presence seeking after what it is that burdens your heart in an unrelenting, fervent way? Well, the fourth part of Elijah's praying is that he prayed repeatedly. He believed in God. He prayed from righteous character. He was fervent in the way that he prayed, and he prayed repeatedly. In our passage today, we have seven times, meaning that he prayed and prayed and prayed. I don't believe this is a quick occasion here. This is praying for hours on end until the Lord answers your prayer. I don't know if you've ever prayed that way for something. Have you ever prayed in an unrelenting, fervent way for hours on end, seeking after the Lord to act in a way that you know is the Lord's will? This is important. And this is a pattern that is not just for Elijah. It's for all godly people. It is a pattern that we persist in prayer. If Elijah had to go to the Lord over and over and over, how much more will you and I have to go to God over and over and over? And so he does. But this is not unusual, and it's the same exact pattern that Jesus teaches in the Gospels. If we look at Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, Jesus taught a parable to make sure that people would grasp this and not miss it. It's the parable of the persistent widow, and one that we can all grasp. It's another picture of a person going after something and seeking it and seeking it and seeking it in prayer. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus began the parable by saying this, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Anytime we have to pray for something repeatedly over a long period of time, we are all given to losing heart and stopping praying about it and just letting it lay and, and forgetting about it. But we are encouraged and instructed by Jesus Christ to persist in prayer, to repeatedly pray for things, to not lose heart in praying for them that we should pray in hope, 
that as we persist in prayer, that our prayer will create communion between us and God as we pray for something over a long period of time and struggle with God in prayer for it. And that as we pray, we are waiting on the purposes of God because we don't know exactly what God's purposes are in the things that we are praying for. However, waiting on the purposes of the Lord should not cause our zeal to go out and our passion for seeking those things to be abated. And so somehow we have this being sustained by the Lord to fervently and boldly continue to ask for things that we know are of the Lord, and yet we are waiting and hoping in the Lord for them. And at the end of the parable, the persistent widow, after this widow has continued to come at this judge to to give me what I am seeking, and he grants it to her, The Lord says in verse 7, Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? And the answer is yes. Those people loved of the Lord, those who believe in his name, those who seek his face, those who seek him, as Jesus says, day and night, another picture of repeated, constant prayer. He will give them what they seek because of his love for them and because of his purposes to glorify himself. And so when we look at ourselves and the nature of repeated prayer, I want to look at some categories. What are some of the areas that we should repeatedly pray about? This could be a long list, and we could go on at length, but I'm going to just list some that I think are extremely important that we repeat and that that we not lose sight of and that we not give up on in praying however many times or for however many years that we must seek praying for them. The first is the prayer for lost souls. Any of you that have been Christians for very long know that you cannot make another person believe in Jesus. There's nothing that you can do to force a soul to change. And so this is one of the greatest things that we go to God in prayer for is praying for our Let's hold off who, but praying for people. The first people that I believe we should be praying for is our family members. It's easy to lose heart in praying for lost family members, whether it be a brother, a sister, a father, a mother, a sibling, whatever it may be, I encourage you to not lose heart in praying for the salvation of your lost family members. I encourage you to not lose heart in praying for your lost friends. There is such an incredible joy that comes from praying for a friend for years and years, and then seeing that person come to salvation. And you knowing that it is a work of the Lord, and you knowing that it is an answer to your prayers as well. And so I urge you, in this repetition of prayer, do not lose sight in praying for your friends and family members to come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Secondly, I would urge you to pray for your marriage. If you are married, to not stop praying for your marriage. And if you are not married and you are seeking someone to be married, it is right to pray for that person that is coming into your life and not give up on these things, but repeatedly pray for them. We've, uh, I asked her for permission to talk about this beforehand, but uh, our, our sweet Emily is getting married in a couple of weeks here and this, uh, to Zach, and this is uh, going to be an answer to prayer. Okay, So why I'm pointing this out is it's not just a general answer to prayer. Some years ago, And Emily came to us as an elder board and said, I I want to be married and I'm asking for you to pray for me that God will bring a good man into my life. And that is so different than the normal fretting of a person's life. Instead, intentionally asking God. And so we did. We prayed 
as an elder group for a long time, many, 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 many times that the Lord God would answer that prayer and bring a good man into her life. And he has answered that prayer, and that's a cause for rejoicing. So uh, we praise God for that and not giving up in these things. We should not ever stop praying for our children in their direction. We don't just fret over our children. We pray for our children. We repeatedly and constantly pray for them. We pray for the direction of their lives. We pray for protection from sin. We pray for their souls, and we never stop. We never give up in praying for our children. I would ask you not to stop praying for this church and other Christian churches around this world. It is right to pray, and I'm asking you, and I call you often to pray for me and to pray for the elders of this church. Pray for the leaders of this church. Go to the website. We've got all the various leaders listed right there. Go down the line and pray for us. We need you to pray for us, that God would strengthen us in this time and give us wisdom and give us understanding and help us to not lose heart. We are people just like you, and we are tempted by the same things that you are tempted by. And it is possible, and we see people all the time losing heart. But the Lord answers prayer. For 13 years, I prayed for an opportunity to do what I'm doing before you here this morning. And finally, the Lord answered that prayer and brought together circumstances that I might have the chance to minister the gospel to a church. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that answered prayer and that the Lord gave faith to not stop praying for that over time. I would ask you to also pray repeatedly about life-dominating sins. Each of us have a different bent in our character, I believe, a different bent towards sin. And all of us have an open door in our life towards some life-dominating sin, something that you know that if you stopped seeking in Christ to conquer that sin, that it would rise up and overtake your entire life. Whether it be addiction whether it be pornography, whether it be media, whether it be pride, whether it be anger, whatever it may be, you must not relent in praying against temptation. Praying against temptation is a part of the Lord's prayer. And we should every day pray that we would be delivered from evil and not be overtaken by temptation. And as we pray constantly and repeatedly against sin in our life, the Lord will answer that prayer. And it will be part of what it means that we walk in righteousness before the Lord because he delivers us from sin. And lastly, I would say, and again, there's many more things that could be done here, but I think I would be remiss if I did not say that we should pray for healing, especially when it comes to chronic things. There is a uh, wonderful, amazing example of this in our church as well. Uh, someone who prayed and sought the Lord for 14 years for an illness that was in her life. And as the Lord answered that prayer after 14 years of praying in hope, praying in communion with God, praying through the, the encouragement of a believing husband, that that prayer was answered and this person was healed. And what happens when we don't seek that is that we give up. And we, our heart begins to die, and the fervency of our heart begins to die, and our hope begins to be crushed down. And so I believe that it is right. Until the Lord may say that it is time to stop, that we should keep praying for healing. And so we look at all these things, and we say, but I know people that I've prayed for that are lost that have not come to Christ. I know marriages that have failed, children that have not come to salvation, churches that have fractured, people that are crushed by life-dominating sins, people that have not been healed. Should we stop praying for these things because some of these prayers are not answered? And the answer is no. 
we must persevere in prayer. We must hear the words of the Lord that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. And so I don't know where you are this morning, but Jesus always commands to our weakness. It is always our tendency to lose heart and to give up. And so I would ask you to look at the life of Elijah, a man who continued to pray no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, no matter what was going on, he did not lose heart in praying. He continued to seek the face of the Lord until he answered. So these are four things. The fifth, I would add, is that Elijah prayed with great humility because what we're going to see is a picture as we kind of bring all these things and roll them together into one thing. It creates this incredible picture of prayer. He prayed in humility. He bowed down on his knees with his face on the ground. I would ask you, have you ever prayed like that? Ever in your life, have you kneeled down on your knees and put your face on the ground and ask God for something that was so serious, so desperate, that you humbled yourself in the lowest possible way that the Lord God might look upon you with favor. The Lord God hates pride. Pride is an enemy. And the more that we exalt ourselves against the Lord, the more that we can be guaranteed that He will not hear our prayer, because the Lord will shut His ear off from the proud. But those that are humble and humble themselves before the Lord, he hears the prayer of the humble. And we need to understand that there is a connection between our body and our soul. And there is a connection between the posture of our body and the posture of our soul. I understand that you can be humble in heart and be standing up. But there is something to be said that when you get down on your knees literally before the Lord and ask him in prayer for something, that there is a humility that you are expressing towards the Lord, a lowliness before the Lord where you are saying, God, if you don't answer, this will not come to pass, and I need you to answer. I am seeking you in all the humility that I can put before you. We should pray in such a way. Psalm 95, 6 says this, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. We know that every time in the Bible when a person comes into the direct and near presence of the Lord or one of his angelic messengers, what does a person do? Really, in a, in a reflexive way that they seem to not be able to hold off on, they kneel or get low because the fear of the Lord comes upon them. And I believe that part of why it is that we do not humble ourselves in body goes back to the very first part of Elijah's praying is that Elijah believed in the reality of God. And so whether God was present physically before him, he understood the reality of God. And he knelt down and got low before the Lord because he wanted to humble himself before the living God. And so do you kneel? Do you humble yourself before the Lord when you pray? Or are your prayers so very casual that there is little humility in them? Follow in the example of Elijah and humble yourself before the Lord. Elijah, lastly, prayed honestly. So if we look back here, we've got Elijah praying because God is real. Elijah asking from a righteous character. Elijah praying fervently. Elijah praying repeatedly. Elijah praying with humility. And lastly, Elijah praying honestly. Now, what do I mean by this? We've got to look a little bit forward in our passage to see this one. Well, I'm going to dive more into this in two weeks, but if you would look forward to 1 Kings 19.4, you're going to see an interesting thing that is 
right to be pointed out in the passage in, our, in the sermon on prayer. And so Elijah is given a death threat by Jezebel after this. She tells him unequivocally, I'm going to kill you. Like, I'm going to hunt you down until I kill you. And like any normal person, he hightails it. He, he runs for the wilderness because this is, she means business, and he knows she means business. And when he gets out into the wilderness, he says this in verse 4, He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And I don't believe we should spiritualize this. What do we have? We have a person that's at the end of his rope, someone that is deeply worn out in their body and in their spirit who has fought hard and long and for years and years, and they just sit down under this tree and say, God, I just, I just, want, to, I just want to die. Like, I, I just, I'm, I'm done. And that's the end of the prayer. It's a very honest prayer. And it is right for us to pray honestly before the Lord. If you have not realized this, the Psalms are full of prayers like this. It's part of why we should read the Psalms. If we look at Psalm 142, and the psalmist writes this, Psalm of David, With my voice I cry out to the Lord, with my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. My refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. I pour out my complaint to the Lord. Did you know it's okay to complain to the Lord, to tell God, this is driving me crazy, or I am just, I, I don't know what else to do here. I'm at the end of my rope. I am struggling so deeply. God, I'm just despairing at this time. And tell the Lord honestly what is on your heart, because he already knows. So you may as well just express it to him. Psalm 10:1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you realize that Jesus was quoting the psalmist when he said that from the cross, when he felt so forsaken of the Lord, that he is quoting one of the psalms? It is right to express our frustrations. Often the psalmist says, why is it that the wicked prosper and I'm doing everything I can and just nothing seems to be going right? They say, why do the evil appear to go unpunished and I'm doing living a righteous life and it seems like everything that comes to me is just messed up and it is a complaint to the Lord. It is an honest prayer, but I would say that we see the prayer of Elijah in this in the totality of all the other things that I've mentioned. That's why I leave it for last, because the believing of who God is, a righteous life, humility before the Lord, all these things will help to hem in and shape our honest prayer to the Lord. Because as we pray honestly to the Lord, we also see the psalmists and Elijah never getting cynical with the Lord, never being jaded towards the Lord. There is always faith and hope at the end. God, this is what is on my heart. This is the real struggle that I am dealing with. But my hope is in you. I trust in you. I believe in you. And I believe that you are going to sustain me and you are going to somehow make a way through this struggle and difficulty. And we'll see in two weeks how the Lord answers this prayer, this hopeless prayer of 
being on the borderline of suicidal in this man, that how the Lord comes alongside him and answers that prayer and strengthens him and takes him on to other things. And so how about you? Where are you in your prayer life? We see many examples of prayer and how we should pray in the life of Elijah. But are, are you a person of prayer? Are you a person that earnestly and fervently and from righteous character and unrelenting in a way that is honest brings your prayers to the Lord? Does this characterize your life? I hope that it does. And I hope that it does in an increasing way that you would not lose heart in praying to the Lord about the things that burden you. And that as you pray, that the Lord would strengthen your faith. He would strengthen your faith to continue persevering in prayer. And that as He answers your prayers, that you might record those. You might write them down somewhere. That you might not forget the faithfulness of the Lord in your life. But I believe there are some here this morning that have never actually prayed a genuine prayer for the first time ever. And that is those who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer this morning that if you have been holding off in belief, that today you would put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. That you would pray for the first time a true prayer. A true prayer of confession where for the first time you confess your sins to the Lord Jesus that they might truly be forgiven. That you cast off the guilt that is in your heart and you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And that you might know the nearness of God and the love of God and the goodness of God in your heart. May today be a day of salvation for you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. I thank you for the Old Testament and the characters of the Old Testament. Thank you for recording for us the life of Elijah. That as we learn many things from Elijah, that we might never lose sight of the praying heart of Elijah. And that he was always a man who was praying to you and seeking your face. He did not give up in these things, and you answered him, and you heard him. And I pray, God, that you would help us to walk in his ways, that we might be a people of prayer, that we would never lose heart, that we would be strengthened in our faith that you are real, that we would be righteous in our character, that we would be fervent and honest and repeated in the ways that we pray to you in great humility. And Father, we pray that you would hear our prayers. Help us to not give up. Help us not to faint. Help us not to fall off in these things. But may you stir up our prayers by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.